Hello there, listener, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and I've been working on today's episode for a while. Um, Not only the research that went into this episode, but my approach to it and how I wanted to talk about it. Um, You know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me do previous episodes on nutrition. And you might have noticed that the whole focus of all of those episodes has always been about adding in the good stuff, what I call additive nutrition. Um, And that's because I believe very much in the psychological evidence that shows that when we focus on restricting food, it is not so great for us mentally and emotionally. Um, Specifically when that restriction is external, when we feel like we have to limit our foods because we we should, soft quotes should. Uh, And you might've heard me say before that I think the three horsemen of the wellness uh, wellness apocalypse is shame, blame, and guilt, right? Like when we do things from the place of shame, blame, or guilt, that it, it damages us psychologically and emotionally. We don't want to integrate negative, negative motivation in that way. Um, But yet, what do we do when it becomes clear that something is actually bad for us? How do we approach that in a healthy way? And as a practitioner, what are the ethics of how I talk about that? If I know that restriction or shame or guilt are not great for the holistic approach to someone. Um, it's probably not going to be a surprise to you as a listener to hear the statement that processed foods are not healthy foods. They are not great for humans to eat. Um, the trouble, both scientifically and as a practitioner, is that not all processed foods are the same. Right? Is the applesauce that I get at the farmer's market that was made locally and just has you know, honey as a sweetener, the same as what I'm going to get at the grocery store is a burger that is made with a bun that was baked fresh this morning and has no additives in it. The same as what I'm going to get in the drive-through. The answer to those questions is no, but they are both technically have some degree of processing in all of those examples, but the effect in the body is very different. And over the last few months, I've been asking myself some really big questions as I've been preparing for this episode. And the answers to those questions are now changing how I do my work. And whenever that happens, I always start with myself. And that's how I want to start this episode. And I'm even hesitant to talk about some of that work in myself because I never want the work I do in myself to have a negative impact and to mess with someone else you know, I am aware that as a practitioner, as a person who has made the effort to build a platform like this one, as an expert in the field, that when I say something, it's going to impact another person emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, and it's going to impact how other practitioners think about that work. And so I try to be really careful about how I deliver messages like this, because I think that that kind of influence comes with a responsibility. About eight-ish months ago, I really started to recognize in myself that I was getting uncomfortable physically. Um, I was having some digestive issues, some uncomfortable physical symptoms. And I've also talked on the show before 
that if we go back two years, when I was preparing for my wedding, I hired a trainer, someone I knew and trusted um, to help me look and feel my best on my wedding day. And they convinced me that the best way to approach that was to go through a bulking phase. Um, for people who aren't in fitness, that means a phase where you put on a lot of muscle. And of course, with that also comes a fair bit of weight. And a lot of the way we did that was through supplementation. I was adding a bunch of processed foods into my diet that I don't normally eat. Um, unfortunately, that the bulking phase was supposed to be followed by a cut phase. That's when you cut body fat and it didn't work. So unfortunately for me, through that whole time period, I had a lot of on-camera work. Um, I also, oh, my wedding was at the end of it. Uh, and I was, I was really unhappy with how that all went. Um, it's meant for the last two years, I've been carrying all of the extra weight that was added at that time. Uh, and that hasn't been particularly fun for me. And generally I try not to care too much. I don't care that much about weight. But about eight months ago, I had to start getting honest that I just didn't feel very good. And I didn't feel very good about myself and about my body in a way that hasn't been around in my consciousness for a while. And I struggled with how to talk about that mindfully and eventually realizing that I was having shame about feeling too heavy because I wasn't supposed to be feeling bad about feeling heavy. And that's just not helpful. It's also not weight neutral, right? To add the layers of shame about how I'm supposed to feel isn't a very evolved set of ideas. But over the years, I've learned that I need to be patient with myself and eventually an aligned way to move forward will reveal itself. If I just keep getting curious, why do I feel this way? What am I doing? What do I know about what I'm doing? Um, toward the end of last year, while I was working on a completely different project other than this show, I was nerding out really hard about processed foods and going down some deep rabbit holes. And you've probably heard a fair amount. It probably isn't a big surprise to you. The idea that ultra processed foods are bad for humans. Um, but how bad? And what I stumbled on is what I thought ultra processed meant is not what I thought it was at all. And I want to walk through in today's episode, that thought process, how I learned this information. Uh, and essentially, this idea, like how bad are ultra processed foods for us? Why? And what exactly is an ultra processed food? And then from what I learned, how I've been changing myself and also how that's affected my practice, how I'm shifting what I do professionally. Uh, normally, when I speak publicly on anything to do with fitness and wellness, uh, it, there's really two core ideas. One, I'm certain about how I feel about something. And two, that it's additive, that it is contributing positively to well-being. And when it comes to the ultra-processed food question, the question to me is that there's got to be a threshold where we recognize that something is bad for us and how do we mitigate that negative in our behavior. And we find that boundary, then we learn how to manage it in our lives. And so I submit to you an episode in three parts. The first is how bad are ultra-processed foods and why? The second is how do we judge what an ultra-processed food is? And when we get there, I'm gonna teach you about the Nova Foods classification system. And then the third is, how am I navigating this stuff in myself? 
And how is it now affecting my clients? And, and maybe, my hopefully, that journey will be helpful for you as you make decisions about your own health and well-being. And let's just start with what's an ultra processed food. So many things that we have eaten have gone through some type of processing, right? A moment ago, I mentioned applesauce, right? I've made my own applesauce from my own apples on my apple tree. And that's technically processing, right? I'm scrubbing them down, I'm boiling them, I'm mashing them up and I'm mixing them with a whole bunch of stuff, right? That's processing. But ultra processed foods are beyond just any kind of processing, right? They, they have a, a excise amount of processing that we're gonna get to in a second. And at this point, ultra processed foods are basically everywhere in our lives. It is estimated that 60% of an American adult's calories on average come from ultra processed foods. And for teenagers and children, that's 70% or more. We're at the early stages of understanding what these foods do to a human body. And for that reason, I think of this as a massive public health experiment. Um, and I think it's really important if we're going to talk about industrial foods that we need to recognize that it's not all bad. For many people in the world, industrial foods have set them free. Uh, if, if everyone had to grow their own food locally, that would really limit what could be in your diet. And if all of the food that you ate in a day had to be prepared by someone in your household, traditionally that was women. And if you were home all day making everything from scratch, that meant that women couldn't have careers. They couldn't have lives outside of the home. And so having cheap calories that could be quickly and easily prepared was relevant to women having lives outside of the home, but also to people who grew up in poverty. And as someone who grew up in food stamps, myself, I'm really sensitive to the idea that we're gonna glorify not having any processed foods because industrial processing allowed us to have foods that were, could stay longer on the shelf, could be transported farther, could be kept safe for consumption and made more cheaply. So I think when we try to say like, oh, people are eating all this garbage processed food and like, it's much easier to feed a family through a drive-through window than it is from, you know, the organic foods available in a conventional grocery store. And food prices are very high right now, record high. So we got to recognize that element of industrialization as a positive, even as we're talking about the negatives. But, <laughs> big but, uh, Studies are showing that when people have a high amount of ultra processed foods, they have a great increase in their disease risk. So gut diseases, inflammatory bowel disease, colorectal cancer, irritable bowel syndrome. It's a big body of evidence, but, and typically when I talk about stuff like this, I'm really cautious about drawing conclusions because it's hard with nutrition. There's a lot of different factors and variables. So let's take IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, as a perfect example of this. Stress can instigate an attack of IBS. But I know when I'm really stressed out, I eat a lot more junk food because it's easy to prepare. I'm tired because I'm stressed. Maybe I'm not sleeping very well, or I don't have as much time because I'm dealing with whatever the stressor is. And so I need something that's 
easy to prepare, it's fast, and it doesn't require a lot of energy. Well, is it the stress? Is it the cheap food? Which is it that's instigating the problem in terms of the IBS attack? It's hard to say. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall, and we're talking about ultra-processed foods and the Nova food scale. So we want to draw these conclusions. And I found when I've talked to other people about ultra-processed foods, they'll mostly talk about added sugars, right? And that's partly because we've been taught to think about these things in terms of, well, it's bad for me because of the sugar. It's bad for me because of the, the blood sugar climbs and spikes and drops or the calories. And so what did food manufacturers started to do? Well, they started to put in zero calorie sweeteners. And now the calories are lower. They say that we're not gonna get the same blood sugar spikes, but we're not seeing changes in the rates of disease. So what does that mean? Well, it's not only sugars in ultra processed foods. It also includes emulsifiers, food coloring, microparticles and nanoparticles. So let me break down what all these words mean, because I think one of the problems we're having in these conversations is that influencers will produce content, pop it up on Instagram or TikTok. They'll use these words, but they don't explain what they mean. And then the conversation is just super muddy. So emulsifiers are additives that change the texture and consistency of the food by keeping the food all in one whole without splitting. So the example would be if you go to use like a, a, a natural soft coats, natural ketchup, and it's kind of liquidy and you have to shake it a lot, but you don't have to with like the mass produced industrial ketchup, the latter ketchup has an emulsifier in it to keep the water and the oil from separating, right? And that's in all kinds of foods just to keep them in the right consistency on the shelf longer. Um, sweeteners, we already talked about like high sugar foods, right? High fructose corn syrup was everywhere five or 10 years ago. So then food manufacturers just started using zero calorie sweeteners. And so a lot of times those zero calorie sweeteners are being added to foods we don't necessarily think of as sweet foods, but that's to increase the amount that you will crave that food, even if you're not consciously aware of it as sweet. And then we get into microparticles and nanoparticles. Those are food additives that affect the consistency of the food. And they're called microparticles and nanoparticles because they're compounds that humans would not typically have ingested, even if they occur in nature, right? And they're gonna be used in a label for an organic food because look, it's natural. Um, or they're industrial compounds. And those do things like keeping powdered food from caking up Right. If you think of like food that comes in a packet and the powder easily comes out of the packet, there's stuff added that aren't typically what a human would ingest, but it's to keep it from getting all glumped together. And then you'd have to like mash it up again. OK. So altogether, these foods do a few things. These, these excuse me, these compounds do a few things in ultra processed foods. So the sweetness is a way that wouldn't occur in nature. We'd call that a super normal stimulus because too sweet for what you'd normally have. Um, it's textured in a way that you're going to like really react to the texture. 
Um, or they're super convenient, right? Because I don't have to mash up the things that are all caked, or I don't have to um, defrost it in the same way or whatever. And to collectively, they make these foods hyper palatable or hyper convenient. And then we're going to crave them more. We're going to work them into our lives in that way. And the problem is, like I said a moment ago, some of these compounds are not compounds that humans would typically ingest. And then the question becomes, well, what's the effect of the body on that, right? So let's rewind the tape again. <laughs> Studies have shown of how people eat and the disease risk associated People who eat more ultra-processed foods have higher rates of gut diseases, inflammatory bowel disease, colorectal cancer, irritable bowel syndrome, and type 2 diabetes, metabolic dysfunction, and resulting weight gain. Which is not to say that being in a larger body is inherently bad, but it can be a symptom of underlying problems related to metabolic function. So let's peel the onion a little bit further. Four days before recording this, on, in February of 2024, a study was published in Nature, which is a major scientific journal, titled Ultra Processed Foods and Food Additives in Gut Health and Disease. Let's read a quote from this study. Effects on a range of outcomes, including the gut microbiome, intestinal permeability, and intestinal inflammation. Broadly speaking, evidence for the effect of ultra-processed foods on gut disease comes from observational epidemiological studies, whereas, by contrast, evidence for the effects of food additives comes largely from preclinical studies conducted in vitro or in animal bottles. Okay, we're going to break that quote down in just a second, but you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. We're talking about ultra-processed foods, and then in a minute, we're going to get to the Nova food scale. But first, let's break this quote down so we can drive this point home. Ultra-processed foods mess with our digestion. It affects the gut microbiome, so the bacteria, the organisms that live in your gut that most of us have heard in this point benefit our health. Ultra-processed foods damage the microbiome. And then they use the phrase intestinal permeability. That's leaky gut syndrome. That is essentially your digestion is a long tube with a membrane that broken down food particles, um, resources, energy, minerals, they, they get transported through that membrane. But if I break a wall, right, it's easier to get through. So when you have increased gut permeability, there's essentially cracks in the membranes and then partially digested food, other compounds that shouldn't be in the bloodstream break through the gut lining and it results in inflammation throughout the body and the immune system reacting in ways that are not good for us. And that can eventually contribute to autoimmune diseases, to inflammatory problems, to a whole bunch of other issues. And then intestinal inflammation, that's when the wall of the intestine is irritated, kind of like that gut permeability thing, and then it swells up. And think about that like if you had irritation on your skin, like you had a rash and how it's itchy and it doesn't feel good. Yeah, you don't want that on your insides. So that's just the first sentence of this statement. But then the second half of this 
So evidence for the effects of ultra-processed foods on gut disease come from observational epidemiological studies. That's what we've been saying so far, right? That we look at epidemiology, human disease, and we can observe that the people who eat more of these foods have these adverse health outcomes. Um, but evidence for the effect of food additives comes largely from preclinical studies, so not related to health, conducted in vitro, that means in a test tube, um, or animal models. So it's saying that the study of these effects is happening in epidemiological studies, so studies of people's health, but the study of the food additives is mostly done in petri dishes and in animals. And so it's not looking at the long-term effects on human health. They're essentially going like, okay, is this food additive an acute poison? If I give it to this mouse, does the mouse die within a month, you know, a couple of weeks or a month? Or if I do this reaction to a bunch of cells in a Petri dish, do the cells die? No. Great, let's put it in the food. And that's why I said that we're in the middle of a massive public health experiment. Because that's the chain of scientific evidence that led to us all eating these compounds. Um, I knew some of this. I mostly was under the impression that ultra processed foods weren't good for blood sugar. Um, but what really started getting me to change my thinking was when I started reading about the effects on the gut and the gut lining, um, and therefore my immune system and my organs. <laughs> Because, right, if it's semi-permeable barrier becomes permeable because it's breaking, um, that means that these compounds are getting into my bloodstream. That's going to affect the immune system. Then my immune system gets confused. It affects organ function, right? Like, we don't need this. And then that they promoted inflammation in the body, shifting the gut microbiome. They're irritating the gut lining. That's then promoting systemic inflammation which is going to affect other tissues outside of the gut. And then I learned that these compounds are also then damaging the cascade of hormones that leads to our metabolism, what we call a metabolic pathway. And without getting way too deep into some deep biochemistry, essentially zero calorie sweeteners, and some other food additives, there is evidence that they compromise our metabolism's ability to function. So the thing that we replaced all the sugar with is actually still negatively affecting metabolic function. So the evidence is pretty new, but it's very consistent that ultra processed foods are having this effect. Now, this was the point where I started to go, yeah, 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 but I, you know, I'm on point with my food. I don't eat ultra processed foods. This, that ain't me. And in December, I was introduced to something called the Nova Food Classification Scale, developed by researchers in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It was by the recognition that not all processed foods are created equal. So, Going back to that applesauce example, like the applesauce I make myself and the applesauce in the grocery store, it might not be the same applesauce. And I think learning about this might be the most important thing that I have learned in the last few years. The Nova Food Classification System is a way that we put our processed foods into different buckets. So 
I want you to take a second right now before I unpack this and consider what do you consider to be an ultra processed food? Maybe you think of fast food. Maybe you think of like a cheap TV dinner. Um, but what's not in your mind a processed food? So is it the loaf of organic bread that you got? So it's labeled organic, it's labeled whole grain and natural, but it's still coming in like one of those plastic bags with like a twist tie on it. Um, your condiments, clearly processed, but where do you personally draw the line right now? Because we're going to come back to that thought in a second. Let me explain to you the Nova food scale. So it's four levels. The first level is unprocessed, natural, or minimally processed. This one should seem kind of obvious. I pick the apple off the tree, I dust it off, I bite into it, natural food, right? Uh, minimally processed foods are natural foods that has been submitted to things like cleaning, removing the twigs and bits, the stuff you can't eat, maybe grinding, drying, like with an herb, um, fermentation, so natural, unchemically accelerated fermentation, pasteurization, refrigeration, freezing. So fruits, veggies, rolled oats. I hunt with my bow. I get meat. I don't do anything to it other than cook it. I eat it. It's great. Pasteurized milk, um, fruits, dried fruits or nuts that don't have any sweeteners or salts or other stuff in it. We're going to come back to that thought in a second. Um, and whole grains. So grains of wheat or oats, corn, so that's unprocessed, naturally minimally processed. That's level one. Level two is what's known as processed culinary ingredients. So this is you ground the wheat to make some flour, but you didn't do anything else to it. You pressed olives to get olive oil, but there's nothing else in the glass bottle, which some olive oil on your grocery store shelf has other stuff in it. If you don't check, you don't know. Um, so essentially this is extracted from natural foods and from na nature by processes like pressing, grinding, pulverizing, um, sugars made from cane or beets, honey pulled from honeycombs, butter, right? I got to churn cream to get butter. Um, this category also includes combinations of ones and twos. So like salted butter. And I like to think of this as like ingredients a fancy chef would use without being offended. So that's one, unprocessed, minimally processed, natural. Two, processed culinary ingredients. Three is essentially combinations of ones and twos. So if I made a loaf of bread at home with flour, oil, water, and yeast, you know, veggies that you preserve through canning and brining, um, pickles, right? Pickles with nothing preservative in them. Natural bacon without extra stuff on it. Canned tuna, fermented foods that don't have preservatives in them. That's level three. And then level four is our ultra processed. So emulsifiers, anti-caking agents, dyes, excuse me, um, chemical preservatives, and then artificial or modified fats and sweeteners. The list for ultra processed is really long. When I read it the first time, it felt overwhelmingly long. And this was the point that I really, that it really started to get to me. So this list is from the original classifying researchers 
in Sao Paulo, Brazil. If you Google Nova food classification scale, you'll pull up the first hit should be the PDF um, that has this list. But I want to unpack it on the show just to give you a sense of what we're talking about here. So here we go. Packaged nuts that have added fat, sweetener, or excess salt. Just that alone. Or excuse me, I said nuts. Packaged snacks. <laughs> Packaged snacks with added fat, sweetener, or excess salt. That is every protein bar, packaged nuts. I mentioned the dried fruit from my grocery store. The dried fruit at my grocery store all has added sweeteners. To dried fruit, um, packaged cookies, ice cream. Ice cream has emollients in it to make the texture hyper palatable. Um, and extra, extra sweetener from what I've made when I've made ice cream at home. So any kind of frozen extra dessert, also has stuff in it to get it to hold that cute shape. Um, industrial produced candies and confections, carbonated soft drinks. So obviously soda, but then that's also diet sodas, right? The artificial sweeteners are affecting our guts and our metabolism. Um, some of the seltzer that I was drinking had artificial taste, like um, uh, flavoring in it. That's an industrial compound. Energy drinks, sports drinks, canned, packaged, dehydrated, or other instant soups, noodles, sausage, desserts, drinks, mixes, and seasonings. So this is anything that you get that's like a powdered packet. It's got an anti-caking agent in it. Um, sweetened and flavored yogurts, including fruit yogurts, because those have emollients, preservatives, and sweeteners, including zero-calorie sweeteners to keep the calorie count on the packaging low. Dairy drinks, including chocolate milk, sweetened juices and modified juices, margarines and spreads. That one's probably obvious. And then we have a whole block labeled pre-prepared. So pre-prepared or packaged meat, fish, veggies, pizza, pasta dishes, burgers, hot dogs, sausages, poultry, poultry and fish nuggets and sticks and animal products made from remnants. Everything in that category is going to have chemical agents in it to hold the shape and change the palatability. Sometimes with um, things that change the texture, but also the zero calorie sweeteners we've been talking about. Packaged breads and buns. This one really got me. <laughs> Packaged breads and buns, because again, it's to make it more shelf stable. It's to extend the shelf life but it's compounds we wouldn't normally associate with bread. Baked products with ingredients such as hydrogenated vegetable fat, sugar, whey, emulsifiers, and other additives, breakfast cereals and bars, instant formula and drinks, meal replacement shakes, pastries, cakes, and cake mixes, and distilled alcoholic beverages. For me, that is an overwhelmingly long list. And three months ago, had I listened to someone else do this list, I would have been super dismissive because not all of it could be that bad, right? If, if it doesn't have added sugar, it couldn't be that bad. Um, but it is the revelation that anti-caking agents and emollients are accumulating in the gut and damaging the gut permeability and microbiome and causing gut inflammation, that's the evidence that caused me to park myself. Because it's the downstream effects 
of that gut permeability and inflammation that are then causing inflammation in other places in the body and damaging the metabolism. And I had a big old wake up. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall, and we're talking about ultra processed foods. So after that big old wake up, I had to ask myself, well, what am I eating that's on this list? And if I back up a second, research from Northeastern University published in 2022 showed that 73% of the foods in American grocery stores is ANOVA 4. So three quarters of the food available to me at my local grocery store is ANOVA 4. And I live pretty rural, so I think it might actually be higher for me. Um, And then I found a study in March of 2022 published by the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition that showed that food and nutrition specialists, so these were French specialists, which I think actually makes it a little bit worse, um, researchers, doctors, dietitians, and people who worked in the food industry could not group commonly marketed foods properly, even when provided with the ingredient list. So these are people who specialize in this information And the NOVA scale has been out as a research tool for 10 years. And so this was only two years ago. So eight years into this, and these experts could not properly classify. Now, there's two criticisms of this. Um, The first being that some of the NOVA classification instructions seem self-contradictory. And let me give you a very concrete example. Um, if you were listening closely, as I listed the Nova four foods, one of the things was if whey has been added to, um, a baked product. And if you're clever, you know that yogurt is made with whey. Whey is a protein molecule that naturally occurs in dairy. And when you separate, right, if you, if you know little Miss Muffet, she sat on a tuffet eating her curds and whey. Curds are what's in cream cheese. Whey is a protein molecule that we then use to make yogurt. But the difference between yogurt being a class one or two food and whey protein powder being added to baked products is because the fad right now is to eat high protein foods. And if I can increase the protein in a food, I can then slap a high protein label on the front and you're more likely to buy it but that whey protein has been processed. And I mentioned in the intro, the supplementation I was doing when I was bulking for my wedding, um, I was pounding whey protein and my gut was going crazy. We're gonna talk about that in a second. Um, so that's the first criticism is that it seems counter, like contradictory, self-contradictory, but if you dig into it, it's not. Um, and not all Nova, the other criticism, is that not all Nova 4 foods would be impacting the body equally. And that might be true, but we actually don't know yet which ones are harmful because the way that food additive research is currently done, like I said, is done in the lab or in animals and it's relatively short term. So a moment ago, I'd asked you to draw your own line of where you would put ultra processed. And for me, that line moved a lot when I learned this information. Because what we know, 
as we've unpacked in phase one of this episode, is that high Nova Flow 4 foods correlate with all those adverse health outcomes that I just listed. And I'm really uncomfortable delivering this information because I don't want to freak people out. I don't want to lead them astray. I want to help people. And so generally, when I learn something like this, my first step is always, let me let me practice this on myself. Let me experiment with this on myself and see what happens. So in January, I was like, okay, what happens if I remove 90% of the Nova 4s from my diet? And that meant figuring out what was in my diet that was a Nova 4. And I really thought that I ate well. If you had asked me in December, do I eat ultra processed foods? I'd be like, heck no, I haven't had Taco Bell in years. Taco Bell, don't sue me, please. Um, but what I found was my, what I thought was super healthy, natural, whole grain bread, uh, ketchup, most of the sauces I put on my foods, almost every freezer go-to meal that I had that I would use on a night I had to work late. Um, my dried fruit has added sugars on it. Uh, the snacks that I thought of as healthy, but they were packaged because they're marketed as a health food, only five ingredients. Um, the healthy, soft quotes, healthy cereal that I had been eating. Um, and I, I'm doing 90% because there's some foods that I live rural enough that I'm stuck with. Like my cottage cheese <laughs> has emollients in it. Um, but I'm running out of things to eat for breakfast unless I have enough time to, to prepare a few days in advance. And some weeks I just don't have that yet. So it's been this gradual systems change for me. Uh, and I was, I'm frustrated. So before this, coming into January, um, you know, I'm active. I sleep good. I eat vegetables every day. But I kept having this persistent gut problem. Um, I'd been told that it was a hiatal hernia related to having Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and essentially that there was nothing I could do because it's structural and I need to manage my secondary symptoms. That that, that was the only option. Uh, I already told you about the weight stuff. So I'm like, okay, I learned all this information. I'm going to remove 90% of the Nova 4 foods in my diet. And within a few days, the stomach pains completely stopped gone. And this is going to be the hard one for me to talk about for all the reasons I've already said. Within a few weeks, I lost 5% of my body weight. So all of the weight that I put on two years ago, two and a half years ago, working with that trainer, supplementing Nova 4 supplements, I dropped in a couple of weeks after two years of carrying it around. My clothes immediately fit differently. I am walking with less joint pain, which is a huge thing for someone with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And when I do eat things that are on the list, the pain comes back almost immediately. <laughs> uh, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theory wackadoo. I don't want to sound like I'm demonizing anyone's food and it is hard information to apply. The reason that I'm saying, oh, it's 90% of the Nova 4s is because when I eat out or I eat with my, my extended family, I have to eat Nova 4s or I don't eat at all. Because the world has been designed to have these compounds in it. 
Our whole food infrastructure is now built on these compounds and chemicals. And every time our culture shifts where we say, okay, um, high fructose corn syrup, bad for us. Oh, well, we'll just use a different industrial sweetener. We'll switch to zero calorie sweeteners. Um, okay, people aren't getting enough protein. Great, we're gonna put whey protein that has an anti-caking agent in every processed food. So now it's a high protein food, right? The industrial food system continues to adapt to whatever fad we say. And the scientific evidence is very clear that the research being done on those additives is being done in a lab, in a Petri dish or on animals and not in people. So we don't know. And that's what makes it a massive public health experiment. And so much of our health and well-being is impacted by our environments. You've heard me talk about the social determinants of health before. And we're also, we're taught about food and the ideas of food, but we're also taught how to think about it. Um, my own grandfather used to tell me, you come from a long line of big, beautiful women. And that was his way of teaching me that it was okay that I was bigger than the other girls. Because some of us, our bodies are just bigger. And I don't want to demonize or shame that in any way. And some of us, our bodies are just predisposed to illnesses. I have one myself. But if I really love myself and I'm honest about who I am and what I want, I want to take good care of this body. I can't make my body smaller. I can't make myself not heavy DS, but I can choose to eat in a way that mitigates for potential problems, but only if I have accurate information to do so. And in the same way, you have the power to control what you put in your body and how you think about and treat it. And my hope is that this gives you information that is more accurate, as accurate as I could make it so that you could make good choices for you. Do I think that every ultra processed food is horrendous for us? Probably not. And do I think that you are a bad person if you go off and house some Oreos? Definitely not. But I do think that there is a lot more going on here than we have previously thought and that there is a lot more to learn. And in the meantime, public health outcomes are getting worse. Um, maybe you saw the news in the last year that colorectal cancer rates for people under 50 have been rising since the mid nineties. And we don't know why, like 30 year olds are getting colorectal cancer and it goes undetected because we don't look for it in people that young. But then we get this body of evidence that ultra processed foods is messing with our guts and our metabolisms and they seem related to me. So I've had my first few client conversations discussing this only to, dis to discover that my clients had the same fallacies that I did. Oh yeah, ultra processed foods, added sugars. I don't eat that stuff. And then I share with them what ultra processed actually means and their line is in the wrong place. And so were my parents and so were my partner. I think collectively we've got the line in the wrong place partly because we've been manipulated to feel that way. Um, and it's going to take a while to move it around and figure out where the right spot is. I think over the next few years, you're probably going to see that NOVA 4 classification break out into different groups, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but underneath that is the knowledge 
that these foods have also been engineered to be hyper palatable so that people will crave them more. And that makes change related to food even harder than it already was, even more complicated. And I don't want to demonize anyone for their food choices, but the compelling evidence is that some of the things that we have been sold aren't really food. They're products disguised as food. And I think there are well-meaning people and practitioners who are trying to shape the conversation, but they're missing some really important information about what is good for us long term. And I want to wrap this up by just saying, I, I really want to hear your thoughts and questions and ideas and concerns because I have every intention of doing follow-up episodes on this topic because I'm still figuring it out. And that's why I'm being so careful and couching how I'm sharing this information. But I know for me, the moment that I shifted away from the worst of what I was putting into my body, I felt a lot better. And I'm seeing all of these changes, the ease of my movement, the reduction in inflammation. And I can't not share that, even though I don't have all the answers figured out yet. So I'd love to hear your feedback. I always want to hear your feedback, but I really want to hear your feedback on this. So you can email me. It's info at Darlene.coach. On Instagram, I'm also Darlene.coach. You can DM me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, of course, if you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've already subscribed. I know this is a long episode and I go broad and deep, but it's because this stuff to me is some of the most important stuff that we're missing in the public health conversation. And I'm betting you that you're going to hear a lot more about it in the next 18 months. And I want you to be prepped with good information for your own health. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a fan of the show. Reach out and let me know what you think and be well. <laughs>